Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed by us are our own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, no special guest, just the love between the hosts. First cast of 2022. First of 2022. Uh, won't be the first release, but it'll be the first uh, that we've recorded in 2022. So Rich, as you were uh, sitting at home playing video games, I heard you uh, received some relevant news. <laughs> yes, uh, John, that's awesome. So uh, I thought there couldn't be a better way for us to start the year off and talk about the things we love. Uh, and to your point, John, yes, I played a lot of video games with with my toddler. Deservedly uh, so. Over the holiday. Deservedly so. And it was amazing because it brought together two things that I think most of us love, right? The, hopefully, the first part, your family, right? And, and I know COVID, huge damper, right? Especially with the Omicron variant getting out there, a lot of people curb their travel uh, this holiday season. So, you know, family, getting to see them and, uh, and to, you know, interact with them is a huge thing. And then the second part, I think that a lot of our audience would probably identify with, I know us three do, uh, is video games of the early and then late 90s. And, and those things going from, you know, proprietary hardware cassette type things that you, you know, blew into, tapped a couple times on the table and then stuck into the gaming cartridge or uh, the gaming console, um, you know, have now gone online, right? So when you take those things, family, late 90s, early 90s video games, and you shove them together, uh, I started to think about, is this secure? Like, should I let my kid do this uh, by him or herself? And so it, it really took me down a rabbit hole. Where I was clicking on a lot of things uh, after inspecting those links uh, on, on what the safety posture was or the security posture is of, of those games. So anyhow, I, I just thought like, wow, what a, what a unique intersection to talk about to kick the year off. And then, you know, it's relevancy because there is some with the Department of Defense. So, uh, you know, your thoughts, guys, because for me, this is like super interesting. The first thing I want to say is just how incredibly different we are. And you're so far ahead of me because all I'm Googling while we're playing games is how to beat the big boss. Uh, I'm, I'm not thinking to myself like, hmm, I wonder if this is secure. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how do I beat this guy so that we move on? But yeah, well, and you're definitely more competitive than me, Jen. I mean, let's just talk about the whole CrossFit thing. We'll leave that for aside for now. But, uh, but Kyle, what are your thoughts, brother? Yeah, I. I think this is very near and dear to my heart as someone who absolutely loves uh, some like Super Nintendo era gaming. Um, cyber gaming has entered an entirely new realm of weird and wild. And when we start talking about the cyber security of cyber gaming, things get super interesting. Um, one of the things that you may be listening to this and going, yeah, right, whatever. I want to talk for a quick second about why anybody targets gaming today in you know, 2021, 2022 era. And the first thing and only thing that I want you to realize is money, 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 money. Because there is a massive amount of revenue that is generated by online gaming today. We did some basic research for this cast and found at least five video games that I know of, which, you know, we're all old dudes here. This is not making us sound cool. That made over a billion dollars in 2021. So let that sink in for just a second. I, I stopped. When, just to, to second this. 
I stopped and I counted the zeros again because it looked like billion. And I was yes. like, no. And I went back and I was like, oh my God. And then before I said it out loud and embarrassed myself in front of these two, I did it a third time because I was like, billion? Really? Yep. With a B. It, the, uh, with a B. The other thing here is we're not just talking about microtransactions, though that does account for a huge amount of revenue for these companies. Explain. But we're going to... Yeah, microtransaction is where I'm playing a game and I want a, a cool new skin for my character or I want a better gun and I can literally pay to get that feature. Um, we're not going to get into the pay to play versus pay to win argument on this cast, but just you can pay money to get cool stuff for your character to do something cool in said video game. And it, we're talking real money. So, you know, you pay actual dollars for digital coins that you can use to buy a sword or something. Um that is microtransactions and the, the world of sort of like blockchain and nifties kind of comes in here uh, in the future, but th there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And, and for those of you wondering like, Hey, how can I like see a physical manifestation of this in digital media? Go watch ready player one, right? The, that movie is exactly what we're talking about here. And we'll get on to later in the cast, but, but Kyle, go ahead, brother. So I wanted to put something out there here real quick, too, uh, because Rich mentioned the 90s and, and our love there. I, I took a little bit of my holiday time and went through some Netflix docs. And I forgot. It, it's easy to forget. I forgot how. Uh, and, you know, Kyle said, hey, the video games have the dollars. The video games have an awful lot of influence, too. And going through those 90s docs, I forgot how politically charged and how emotional oh, yeah video games existence as a whole really was. So this is, you know, not to say that the, the billions of dollars are not a thing, but like, let's not also forget the influence and the cultural debate and pressure that comes along with that as well. Indeed. And so we've taken kind of all this into account. We want to give our listeners a sort of neutral account of a complicated cybersecurity issue. And so we're going to take you to the world of soccer what the rest of the world refers to as football. And if you've ever played a soccer video game in the last, I don't know, 10 years, you probably played FIFA from Electronic Arts. And there's a couple articles that came out this year talking specifically about this particular company, a couple breaches that they had. But we're not going to dwell a ton on that. What I want to do is use this as a canonical example of how complicated this can be. So in this game, it's a, it's a game about soccer. But you can also manage a team within this thing called FIFA Ultimate Team. It's a feature inside the game. And within this, you can trade players with other humans. And there is a large loot box concept in it, meaning you could randomly get a good or bad player um, for doing certain things inside the game. And so if you randomly get a really good player, they also have a marketplace where you can sell that player to another human being for the digital currency of the game that you have to buy with real currency. So not only have they created a product that has all of the problems of anti-cheat and game matchmaking and, you know, securing an online gaming platform, but has all of the problems of an auction site like eBay. And because it is a marketplace, all of the problems of a stock exchange where the value of digital goods and services is variable based on market demand. So imagine that you are a company who makes video games who has now decided to enter the realm of the security-related problems of a stock exchange and an online auction house in addition to your normal video gamisms. And this is why things get weird when you start talking about this, because most of these shops 
um, we're, we're just going to continue using FIFA as an example, but this applies to almost everywhere. You know, they have a distributed um, development environment, right? It's not like every single person that writes the code for this game is sitting in a secure building in, I don't know, California or something like that. They have teams all over the world in all sorts of different countries with all different security standards and all different vetting processes. And so there's a general, not mistrust, but not full trust of everybody who writes your game code. So there's lots and lots of digital inspection happening and, and identification of trends and you know internal business processes to decide, is this worth fixing or is this worth the loss that we have coming from it? So just next time you go play an online game and you know it pops up and says, you know if it wants to have you buy a coin in the game or a digital transaction, think about everything happening behind the scenes to keep you, your credit card and everything else protected through that process. Yeah. So I, Kyle, like th there's a couple things here. I think we just kind of got to riff off of for a second. Right. So like, you know, we're, we're talking about a whole business model, right. For, for online gaming, right. Yes. Which isn't a shock, right. Everything, everybody's trying to make a buck off of something. Right. But this is like to the level of professional sports. Like you, you brought up like a, you know, a sports game as part of online gaming. Right. But let, let's talk about this for a second. Right. Like, the vast amount of people in this world that are interested in sports is a subpopulation of the human species, right? I would argue, and this is not backed up with facts, right? Just a, a, rich, a rich fact, swag guess, right? That the amount of people that are interested in gaming writ large probably surpass that by an exponential number, right? And so just thinking about that for a second and applying some logic to it, you know, you, you have a the productization of gaming and then you have varied levels of maturity, right, in that in that environment, right? Like when I mean maturity, like not of the gaming systems, right, but but of the human beings, right? So like I, to me, this is just kind of fascinating because, there, you know, online gaming and the social aspect of it, right? You know, we talk a lot about on this cast about social media, right, and making sure that people understand what's, what is real and what is not real. But I really think that like, gaming is this other like really big interface like in this Venn diagram that overlaps social media with some sort of like online you know profiteering or profit like um you know initiative so which is kind of a bad word but uh but anyhow I, I'm just interested in your thoughts here right because like th this is like to me this is like really important this is like future cybersecurity. yeah you made a good analog there if from the information that we can find in research for this cast as well, the Dallas Cowboys made $980 million in 2019. We're, we're not going to count 2020 or 2021 because COVID has destroyed sports gaming or sports revenue. But think about that for a second. $980 million from just the Cowboys, the highest grossing uh, NFL franchise. Last year, FIFA made $1.6 billion off of the video game FIFA 2021. So we're talking about you know, comparable. This is apples to apples. This is not like, oh, it's just a cute video game. This is real money. And the other thing too is you can't discount, you can't just sit back and say, oh, well, FIFA's got a lot of money. So all that's going to motivate people here is going to be money. I mean, let's not forget it was only a couple months ago, I believe, that the national news media reported classified information was leaked in message boards because people took their message board credibility so high that they were willing to leak classified material to prove that they were in positions of power. I, I got to say, I don't think it is a disproportionate number of people that would be willing to cheat at FIFA to be good at FIFA 
compared to people who would yeah. want to only cheat to be able to steal people's money. I would imagine it would be a fairly close comparison. And now you're looking at two completely different groups of people from a you're the you're the defender standpoint, com- completely different motivations, completely different, most likely MOs and SOPs. Uh, it could get really complex, especially at that scale. Yeah, you know, John, what you're talking about is uh, an online tank video game where someone was complaining that the tank models that were rendered in 3D for the video game weren't accurate enough and leaked classified documents proving that they weren't accurate. Um, Just bonkers thing to think about. But remember, you know, and like all things, anything that can intersect with CrossFit in our lives, John, people will live and die for points on a whiteboard, you know, little scratches of whiteboard marker on a whiteboard. And they'll do the same thing for internet points, right? And, and they'll do the same thing for street cred. And when you think about the overlap to uh, Rich's point of the social media aspects of this, right? The, the incredible Twitch and online streaming communities that have grown up around this that are so mainstream for the current generation of younger folks and people who are in the digital space and working in the gaming space, they are so much more important than like broadcast television is for sports venues. It is the way that they are interacting with their online media. And if you control that media and you control market share within that media, you're unlimited in the amount of earning potential that you can get and the amount of exposure that you can get for your game and therefore increase the longevity and make sure that it's not falling out of you know fashion and all these sorts of things. It's, it's a very layered onion. Yeah, so Kyle, um, I mean, it will both. John and Kyle, like th- this, this conversation, right, where we're talking about a little bit of the military aspect was kind of what I was mentioning in the beginning. And I kind of want to bring up one thing that I was, I really found in my research over the holidays when I was, was looking backwards in time at, at the security of online gaming. And back in July uh, of 2016, which seems like eons ago at this point, but um, there was an article written by uh, a blog called IFSEC Global. Uh, that talked about, at the time, the hottest game on the market, which was Pokemon Go, right? It hit the streets in 2016, and it was just screaming. Like, So let, let me just read some stats from, from this article at the time, right? So at the time, Pokemon Go, within a week of its launch, could boast 20 million downloads within one week uh, of its launch. Um, and basically, so that, that number at the time... Uh, was achieved by apps like dating apps like Tinder, right? So, so you have this game that just boom floods the market uh, digitally, right? Has all these you know twenty million downloads over a week period of time, and then uh, was making one point six million dollars a day, right? So like just I mean, this immediately caught my attention. Right. Uh, so, so anyhow, the reason why I thought this was extremely relevant to our conversation in our audience was that subset of users uh, that we're focused on, right, which is those folks that kind of care uh, about the balance between the public and the private sector and either work in the, in the public sector and the DOD or you know, the U.S. government, uh, they were part of this, you know, and still are part of this population that downloads the game. Right. So uh, what, I, what I thought was super interesting, and I promise I'll stop ranting here in, in a second, is that, you know, this was also the first time that augmented reality became a real thing for folks. Right. Where their smartphone, which at the given state of smartphones in 2016, which I'm not, you know, 
uh, a subject matter expert on was was a pretty big deal, right? So th- this was the first time that she had a game that used augmented reality. It was a big hit. There was you know financial transactions that were a part of this, uh, but but where it where it comes into context with cybersecurity, almost like in the kinetic in the real world is. You're also using that software based upon geo- geolocation, GPS, and geotagging, right? Because you're looking for Pokemon in the real world that present themselves with, you know, um, on your screen as you're looking around in the physical realm around you. So, what became super uh, interesting to me about this article is that the uh, the the U.S. government actually put out some guidance here. Uh, because there were folks in the DOD that were downloading the game on their phone and whether or not they were in areas of hostility is kind of a moot point. They were just service members serving on base posts and stations or when they were on leave traveling and using this app and self-identifying right in, in certain parts of uh, their digital presence, like photos on the device of them in uniform, right? Uh, with, with, being a user of this game. And so at the time there were some security bugs uh, that presented themselves like any other software, right? Because this was such a hit and it took off so fast. Uh, So, so long story short, um, there were some issues with how the game uh, was run locally on the device. And I won't go into all the, the technical details of what those security bugs were, but suffice to say that in order to run a game at that scale, Right. You had to be part of some hyper cloud provider. Right. And at the time, I believe Google was partnered with Nintendo, specifically a company called Niantic that was the, the author of Pokemon Go. And so between the code, the source code written by Niantic, right, and then the cloud service provider, Google, they, they came together rapidly uh, to kind of secure these bugs to make the game safer moving forward. But like I really thought this was just such an awesome um, intersection between you have this gaming community, there's this social presence, right, in social media, there's this augmented reality piece that is now for the first time being a thing where people are like coming together to go to poke spots, right, or pokey gyms to play each other physically, because that's how the augmented reality component worked. And then you had a subsection of those like being members of the DoD. So I think my point here is that regardless of what you're downloading on your phone, even if it's a game, there are people and organizations that are looking for any niche in order to gain a competitive advantage. And when you're talking about adversaries from a nation state perspective or, or a non-nation state, just think like, you know, terrorist organizations that are looking for ways to exploit service members, online gaming is a pretty, pretty viable path. I mean, you know, to, to boil it down, do you guys agree with that? So I, I got a couple of things I want to put out here. So the, the first one is we need to consider balance, right? And, and I don't want at any point the podcast to, to come off as uh, we're scaremonger or fearmongering or trying to incense some kind of people out there uh, that we're not trying to. And I think one of the really cool things about Pokemon Go or anything else that's going to get people out and moving around and exercising and stuff like exploring, exercising, there's a positive side to all of this stuff. Uh, and, and that certainly shouldn't be discounted. 
So just saying, you know, hey, I'm in the military, there could be some privacy issues here, so I'm just turning that off. I don't know if that's the most responsible uh, take to make, but you also need to balance that with the fact of how many minutes is going to go by before Nintendo realizes they've got metadata that is massively beneficial financially to people who want to sell things because you can essentially know people's daily flow past given areas. And with your demographics, you can say, I know I have 18 to 32 year old males walking past this street corner at a more frequent rate than other street corners. And non-nefariously, that street corner is where you put up your male athletic uh, attire company or your gym or your snack food place or whatever. But at the same time, you could pretty easy, easily pull from that metadata, hey, we want to also sell to military members. And next thing you know, you've got very detailed pattern of life, things that would kind of look scary and you wouldn't even need to circumvent the security of the system. Like that kind of information most likely will end up being eventually made available for you to purchase to tailor your ads or business or things of that nature. It's not something that could be exploited. It's part of the business model. Uh, and that's just something that we should be aware of. Yeah, and this has been used a lot of times before. And you mentioned the kind of fitness aspect of this too, John. Like there's, you know, plenty of articles you can go out there and find where people's fitness tracking apps that were, you know, logging their runs or their swims or their bike rides were used to track the motion of our nuclear submarine fleets because people would get their shore leave and go for a run and log it on their app and say, Hey, I was I was here. And they, you know, people are able to just third party without any privileged access whatsoever, just looking at public data identify, you know, where these routes are. So you got to keep OPSEC in mind. We're not saying don't have fun. We're not saying, you know, the sky is falling and turn your location data off at all times, but just know what you're doing and why and realize that your information can be used for uh, not so great purposes. Yeah. And, and actually too. So yeah, I, I completely agree with what, with uh, both of you guys are saying, like to John's point, like we're not trying to fear monger on the cast. It's more of an educational perspective, like know what you're doing when you flip bits on, on your phone or when you download things. Um, and, and to Kyle's point, like on OPSEC, yeah, absolutely. But like, I also just want to say like, uh, you know, a lot of laws that we have right now about like not using your device or using the hands-free component and features of your devices when you're doing things like, I don't know, driving cars, riding bikes, walking down the street. Those are like important things to actually pay attention to as a human being uh, because we are uh, an amalgam of wetware components, right? So um, just in some of these articles that I was reading, you know, they, they talk about back in 2016, and, and I promise I'll, I'll shut up here, it's like, just the spike in traffic accidents, cliff accidents, like people going to a pocus spot, like dare I say in the cliffs of Moore in Ireland and getting too close to the cliff and then whoops, you're over the edge of the cliff, right? Like, you know, trespassing, mobs descending on certain places that were like popular because there was a pokey stop put there, right? So like, I just think that like, you know, not, not only is there the, the, the malicious component of this, which we were, were kind of alluding to earlier, but then there's just the, like the public safety component of this. Like, so, and, and really as a parent, that's, that's why I was looking at this, that at this information. Right. Um, so, so anyhow, um, uh, you know, I just really think that this is kind of like, you know, online gaming is, is very much 
tied to social media, thus the Ready Player One reference, which we'll, we'll have a link to that for, for those who haven't seen the movie in the show notes. But I, I think it's like super, super important to just like pay attention to this stuff. Um, so yeah, um, and, and like John, you know, it looks like you, you have something you want to add in here. So yeah, I just I just like had, had a quick uh, trail off here. Could you imagine you're the MP of uh, military police on shift in like our most top secrety area that we don't tell anyone about? And someone like wanders on there uh, on the on the Pokemon app and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then you walk up and you see somebody like flipping a ball and you're like, oh, God, like when wouldn't, wouldn't, like, could you imagine doing the write up for that? <laughs> yeah. The log entry uh, got mobbed by Pokemon uh, Go peeps. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I would not yeah. want to be writing that. Uh, entry. Nor briefing it the next morning. Well, so, so I, okay. So we'll make one, one real quick, uh, first you'd have to tell the Colonel, like there's this thing called Pokemon go. And then, you, and then you, that's and where then I'm you going, would get John. the blank stare. Right. Like, <laughs> what are you talking? Like, yeah, that's, that's where I'm going, John. And so like, you know, uh, cause we're, we're pretty old too, as Kyle mentioned on the cast. Right. So like, anyhow, um, I just think, I just think it's really funny. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's an Intel analyst somewhere that had to, write a brief of what is Pokemon Go just to be able to explain the fact that too many people came near the gate. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, okay. So, um, enough Pokemon Go because I, I love me some Pokemon and, and it is a secure game. By the way, just, you know, full full transparency here to give uh, both Niantic, Nintendo, and Google uh, some props. As a result of all this, like, Pokemon has a, f- a phenomenal responsible uh, vulnerability disclosure program. So, if you do find flaws, they have, we'll put a link in the show notes, a place where you can go report that responsibly, which I think is awesome. Um, and then the second thing is like Google actually, which we could also put a link in the show notes too, put out a really good paper on how to secure online gaming, right? And how to scale it. They have really, really good white papers on it. Like, so if you're out there and you're in the audience, you're like, man, I love gaming. I'm all about it. I want to write my own game. There are really good ways to hyperscale and secure um, your gaming code. Uh, and so I kind of want to transition us to the next topic, if you guys are cool with that, because it's kind of along the same theme. So there was an article uh, published on ThreatPost um, on the 4th of January, I believe. So so this year in 2022, um, that talked about, you know, Sega's, you know, moving away from Nintendo, talking about Sega here a bit, right? Sega's 60th anniversary. Um, so there was a pretty big security flaw that's relatively simple in nature that we see recurring over and over and over again across the internets um, that Sega publicly disclosed. And I thought this was awesome that they did this, right? Because it wasn't like some hacker published something and then the company kind of like really quickly tried to get their, you know, uh, public relations team together and like make an announcement. This was Sega came forward and said, hey, we have, uh, you know, we use uh, Amazon Web Services. Specifically, we use their object storage solution called Simple Storage Solution, or S3, um, to manage a lot of our, you know, key distribution points to, you know, as part of our content distribution network. And we and we use some of their services like the Simple Notification Service, SNS, to, like, get notifications, both from a customer perspective and then, like, the sysadmins learn about you know, the state of the game and, and anything that is going on with their objects in those object stores. And, and basically they disclosed the fact that they had a couple of their S3 endpoints that were publicly accessible and publicly writable. Um, and so I thought that was really, really cool that they came out and said like, hey, this is a common 
uh, flaw that if you're not paying attention because you need people, right? Like the two second version of content distribution ne- uh, network, right? You're making a whole bunch of digital content available to people. So they need to be able to publicly access that content from your object store. That's how this works, right? The, the network provides content for you as a consumer to consume. So you have to get there. They can't just say nobody can access this store, thus the nature of a, a distribution network. Um, and so they had some misconfigurations in there, which I won't go into details about, but they, they, they publicly disclosed this. And, and I thought it was super awesome because they said, hey, here's our problem. And you know, if you are doing stuff at scale with you know, Google or AWS, in this case, specifically AWS or Azure, you, you need to make sure that these object stores are secure in nature um, and also accessible in a secure way by your customer base. So I just thought this was really cool. Like, um, you know, again, on the whole concept of like securing gaming for folks, because the last thing you want to do is click on a link for an image in an object store that then that image or file has some malicious software appended to it and you render that image and now have some vulnerability you've been exposed to and somebody takes advantage of that. So, uh, and again, to give credit to Sega, like there, to, to my knowledge, as I read this article on ThreatPost, there wasn't a massive like compromise of their customer base because of this. This was just something they found by doing routine security audits, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you should do this. If you use cloud services, you should do internal penetration testing to find out where your flaws exist. And then they just publicly said, we found this flaw and we wanted to educate the world about it. I just thought that was awesome. So um, for those folks that do that kind of stuff, one, thank you. And two, uh, please continue doing that. Yeah, I, I will agree with the disclosure part of what Rich is saying. Uh, I am a little bit sad face here because I'm pretty sure in the first episode, this was one of the things that Rich was talking about, about leaving S3 buckets open. And it's such a problem that to the best of my knowledge, and Kyle can back me up as he he does this, all major cloud providers give you a dashboard that analyzes this all for you. So it, it's such a big problem that everyone recognizes that they have whatever the security analyzer or whatever your uh, cloud service you're using has, whether it's S3 or Blob, uh, they have a analyzer that'll tell you this is probably not a good idea. It's open to the internet and writable. Is this really what you want to do? Um, so I am slightly sad face. Uh, Kyle, your thoughts. I mean, this is tale as old as time, right? Like left your bucket open to the world or leak your bucket key somewhere. And to your point, John, so uh, all the cloud providers, right? I, I use all three fairly regularly, though. Obviously, I use one more than the other. All of them give you a giant banner that basically says, don't do this. Are you sure you want to do this? And by default, won't let you start a new bucket with these features turned on. Like you cannot, if you go through the API, through the console, whatever, on any of the cloud providers and launch a new object storage bucket, it is secure by default. You have to go through extra steps with warning banners to make it public in any way, shape or form. So it's just, it sucks that we're into 2021, 2022, and people are still, you know, leaving the keys in the ignition of the Lamborghini and complaining when someone drives off with it. I just, it's crazy to me. Speaking of sucking and 2022, thank you for sending right into uh, my area. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is an article I pulled up on 
Google Docs and, and a feature of Google Docs that was being exploited. And I know some people feel that it is you know slightly hacky to talk about don't click on hyperlinks. But here we are talking about hyperlinks in 2022. So what the article said was Google Docs had a feature that was being exploited to essentially deliver hyperlinks to email boxes. So Google Docs, for those who don't use it, we're you know big fans on the show as we, we use it to run the show, essentially. Um, our script comes off of this. Google Docs is a, a web-based version of like Microsoft Word or word processor web-based. So Google's version of that. And one of the things that you can do on there that's really cool, and we, we do it uh, quite a bit here as well, as I'm putting a show notes doc together, you can put an at in there, just like you would on social media. And I can say at Kyle, Kyle's email address, hey, I need you to punch up this paragraph or I don't understand what this means. Please you know, bring your uh, thousand pound brain to, to bear on what is going on here. But you can also say at Kyle, read this article and put a URL in there. And apparently the largest problem was with Outlook users. So if Kyle had used his Outlook address, then I say- I would never, I would do, never that. do that. But say you did, you know, at Kyle's Outlook address, need you to take a look at this link, send. It not only embeds that in the Google Doc, it'll also send Kyle an email with that embedded comment in the email. And through a beautiful HTML goodness, you can even answer the comments in your email. Uh, and that was an exploit vector to deliver malicious hyperlinks to non-Google-based mail subscribers as well. So I don't know if we need to go super in-depth into this, but I just want to point out it is 2022 and malicious hyperlinks continue to be a thing and, again, continue to be something that you should keep an eye on. I'm still going to say trust no blue link. That, that's just all there is to it, right? Don't trust a cold call on your phone from anybody claiming to be anyone of authority and don't trust any link in an email ever. Rules to live by, folks. Rules to live by. Rich, you have anything you want to put out on this one? Well, I guess, yeah. So the only thing I'll add, because you're right, but we, we, we beat the blue link uh, horse to death, right? We, we do. But I, I will say that, you know, most programs now will allow you to preview like by just you know holding your mouse over the hyperlink they will allow you to see what the actual hyperlink is going to take you to not the html rendered link that you could see right so if it's like www.google.com that's what you see as a human if you mouse over it but don't click you generally can see you know, HTTP colon forward slash forward slash, I'm going to pwn you right now, right? As the link it's going to take you to, right? So if I could just tell any all of our users out there or our users to tell other people that they know, inspect links in just in, 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 in any way that you can before you click on them, right? So, you know, because people say like, hey, you know, this is something that like humans can't avoid. Well, you can, you can. Right. You can't avoid this by just expecting inspecting the link. You can even right click on it and say sure source. Right. And it will show you where it's going to take you. Um, so. So anyhow, that's all I want to add. Jen. Yeah. The, the other thing I would put out here is. The bad guys have gotten a lot better in this regard. So, you know, maybe in the 90s and early 2000s, if you clicked a link and it didn't work, that was kind of like your tip off that that was a malicious link they've gotten an awful lot better. You know, whether it be 
Im- embedded uh, JavaScript that is going to launch something off of a website that you normally go to or sophisticated redirection. Uh, you know, just, just again, be uh, like we've said about a thousand times, just be, be super careful and diligent about that. All right. So I, I think we are on to our final topic for the day. Uh, I got to be honest, this is a very serious thing and there's going to be a lot of ethical and or other discussion points around it. But it really just kind of brought an LOL immediately to my brain. So this one is about, it was a Krebs article that talked about antivirus companies introducing crypto mining. So it talked about two main ones, Avira. Avira has a 500 million user install base. So not just onesies or, onesies or twosies. That is a crap ton of machines out there running Avira AV. Uh, and then Avira's now parent company, Norton 360. Uh, which Norton 360 comes with a crypto miner built in. So the rough idea is your... Say that again, John. One more time. (laughs) I might have missed that. (laughs) For the cheap seats, Norton 360 comes with a built-in crypto miner. Uh, Now, to to the best of my knowledge or where I have read, it is an opt-in scenario. So it's not just going to start mining for you without you clicking. Um, But I mean... (laughs) But, but let's be honest, we click <laughs> click yes to all the things and install most people, right? When you're installing yeah, a thing, you want, you want to install. Do you want the bare bones install or do you want the really good stuff, Rich? Give me the good stuff. Might as well give me that crypto mine. Hey, by the way, uh, I'll give you 15% of my proceeds. For, so I actually, for my free antivirus, I'll give you some money to run it, essentially. You know, I'll, I'll keep 85% of the profits I made on that crypto mining, but you can have 15 uh, you can definitely see a crap ton of people clicking on that. Um, and man, one, I just had to LOL because it's like you took the thing most likely to in- incense people because it's overusing CPU and you're like, let's take overusing CPU and then let's just continually use it as well, uh, crypto mining. So it just made me giggle a bunch. And uh, and John, I think we we switched up the numbers there for a second. It's uh, the initial report that just came out says that the antivirus company gets to keep fifteen percent, the user gets to keep eighty five percent. But but either way, this still just feels uh, wrong from my antivirus company, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, am I alone? Well, I mean, in that? it's a hundred. Like, you're you, they wrote the code to do the crypto mining, which by the way, you could get anywhere online. I, I highly doubt they wrote that code. But anyway, put it into their code, um, and yeah, they're keeping fifteen yeah. percent. Yeah, good, uh, good catch. Thank you. My uh, reading comprehension skills are not always my strongest suit. I, I just mean, if I was writing a crypto mining piece of software right now that I let anybody come download, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to keep fifteen percent of whatever you your, mine on your, your system. resources," but I'll keep fifteen percent. Click here. Yeah, exactly. Basically, you're, a click doing and you all get fifteen percent. That's pretty. That's yeah. an awesome business model. For you. Yeah, how do I sign up for how do I how do I start one of these, right? We should start the Phoenix Cast Crypto Miner and we'll keep 15%. All of our users, we promise we'll give you 85. Um, and th- sorry, heavy sarcasm here, if you couldn't tell. And this Very feels heavy. insane. Yeah. Yes, it does it does feel insane. Rich, what are your kind of gut feelings on this? Well, yeah, so thanks. I was just coming in. I was gonna say my my, my thoughts immediately went to again over the holidays, because I Obviously, was watching more TV than I usually watch, uh, but like it immediately went to Matt Damon saying, "Future favors the brave" <laughs> as he stares at the planet of Mars, right? In like you know, for the company crypto, right? So like I just <laughs> I just keep laughing at this, right? Because like, it just it does seem, and, and maybe it's just for for folks that have like you know we're really close to the problem set of being cybersecurity, right? 
but like it does seem odd, right? That your antivirus solution provider is also pairing with you know a crypto miner at, at the same time, right? Um, and, and to your points earlier, John, about like the ethical conversation about digital currency and all that kind of stuff, right? Like to me, it's less about about that conversation and, you know, is blockchain the technology you want to invest in? Is that something that, you know, we should use to, you know, free up, you know, to, to the crypto miner or the crypt, uh, crypto mining kind of philosophy of like, like not having everything centrally run through bureaucratic organizations like banks, right? Like it, it does seem odd though here, right? That like a, a company whose whole purpose is designed to defend you, right? Is, now tying in this crypto mining piece, but maybe that's what they're going for, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe what they're going for is like we're going to make you secure, and we're going to, you know, tie in and kind of partner with these crypto mining type technologies to show you that they're secure. But what I would say is like, right now, I don't necessarily know that that's the case, right? Like, yes. Yeah, so- let, let me, so anyhow, it just let me connect a couple concepts here that Rich is putting together that, you know, if you don't like live in this space, you don't know. Uh, so a lot of these exploits that we talk about every single week on the cast, kind of one or two things happens. The bad guys exploit your vulnerability and either they put ransomware on and ransomware your machines or they put crypto mining software on and then send the cryptocurrency back to themselves. So the irony here is that most of the time people are going to hack you so they can install crypto mining and instead your security company has installed crypto mining. That's that's the irony that uh, Rich kind of put out there in, in case those two weren't connected for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thanks for clarifying there, John. But like, yeah, it just, you know, it feels like one of those unnatural acts, right? That you just, you're like, oh, this, or, or stated, I think, in a more uh, a more funny way, like it's one of those weird relationships, right? Like, you know, renter, right? Rentee, right? Landlord, like rentee, like dare I say, because we talk about family, right? In-laws, you know, spouse. <laughs> it's just it's just a weird relationship, right? Like, <laughs> go over to you, Kyle. No, I think you're right, man. This gets all kinds of awkward, right? I'm trying to come up with a good analog in my brain about why this feels so awkward, but just the fact that, you, you, yes, you have to opt in to turn it on, but it is installed, right? And, and it is ready to rock and roll. And it feels weird to know that one of the big goals of a lot of malicious uh, actors is to put a piece of crypto mining software on your computer and then turn it on. And the company that someone is trusting to secure their personal computer in some way is like doing 99% of the work of that and just not turning it on and letting you check the box and be like, yes, I, I can has want this, please. Um, you know, great. They're giving you 85% of what's mine and all the rest of the stuff. But, you know, I, I have spent a lot of time in this space helping other companies and, and exploring for myself. You know, I hate to tell you all this, but your, your Pentium 4 processor in your computer at home is not the most efficient mining crypto piece of <laughs> hardware on the planet um it will not cover your power bill um and so it just, it just feels scammy it just by its very nature feels super duper scammy and i don't know if there is any ethical positive out of this that that's where i kind of get into this is heavily debatable but i just feel that you know what i want my antivirus company to do antivirus Keep anybody. Antivirus. Yeah, I want to do it, yeah. do it keep bad do stuff off my computer. Well, don't. and do it with the yeah. least amount of CPU utilization 
possible. That's right. That's right. Not not like literally contribute to the problem that I'm trying to get them to not or trying to get them to protect me against. Oops. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. I do. I do have one one thing to add in here, guys. Because yeah, I, mean, I think you hit the the nail on the head, right? Like like every, to my knowledge, right. Every reputable security engineering organization, I'll just leave it at that, right? Whenever they have an agent that they would like you to install, right? They generally try to use the least amount of your computing resources, right? Humanly, or <laughs> I shouldn't say humanly, uh, possible, period, right? They, they, it's just kind of, they have to use some amount of compute, but they want to use the least possible. And then I think the other part of this that's just just interesting is like if we could just nerd out for a second, right? Like the whole concept of trust in computing, right, has a whole bunch of different variations of its implementation, right? Everything from like I'm looking at my browser screen right now and in the upper left portion, I see a lock symbol, right, next to the URL, right? That's because somebody signed their code after paying money to a company that provides digital certificates and registering lawfully stating I am this organization and I'm going to represent myself with this digital certificate that I'm going to sign my code with uh, and, and pin to my front end web balancers. When people come to my website, it renders a safe lock in the browser. Right. And the validity of that certificate is good for only so many days that the global community has said, hey, about a year or two, you have to renew this and pay these companies every more money um, because we don't want you to have something that's good in perpetuity because we want to reassert that you are who you say you are. So where it comes into relevancy with this concept is like now we have and, and I don't know this for facts. So I just want to put out this out there in the open because, again, just cursory read through a couple of articles on the internet, right? But I would assume that somebody is trusting this mining code, right? So if Norton or anybody is digitally signing crypto mining, that concerns me, like that massively concerns me to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I want to use that software to do antivirus because signing code means you're trusting code. And that's a big, big assertion made by a company. I mean, Kyle, thoughts here? Like, what, what, no, you, know. you bring up a good point about the sort of like circuitous trust relationship that we have, in, and it's almost to a point where, as a, as a security professional, when I look at an antivirus company providing crypto software, and then you know all the trust that goes along with it, I almost instantly no longer trust both the crypto mining software that they are installing and the antivirus company because of the correlation. Right? I would much rather do my own research to find out a very reputable and trusted crypto mining piece of software that is maintained in some way, shape or form by, you know, people that I, through this process, trust to do that, right? And, or find a, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do here or make any recommendations, but if it were me, right, and I was using Norton, which I'm not, I would probably stop because of stuff like this um, and go find some other piece of software. Anyway, it's just Kyle. That's just Kyle. Not just official Kyle. military policy. Not official military policy. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we <laughs> I think we got where we needed to go here. S definitely sad face there. Uh, but as per ritual, Kyle, let's drop that hot take on me. Gaming is more complicated than you think it is. 
And if you participate in any form of online gaming whatsoever, and you listen to this podcast, I'm telling you, take a basic look at the data that's being collected about you and the data that you are contributing to and understand the security and uh, data privacy options of all the things that you are doing. Um, you know, not, not saying change your behavior, just saying know what you're doing. Quick posture check-in. Yeah, that's right. I like it. All right, Rich, knife hand. It's kind of there, kind of not. We got you, we got you excited a couple times. What you got for us? Yeah, yeah, I think I was like happy rich in in the new year, right? Like I, I don't know that I knife handed yeah, it was, too it was much. Clear you but, got a chance uh, to play some games with your kids. I know, right? So awesome. Uh I can't tell you how amazing it is now to watch early nineties games be 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 on the on the web. Uh but you know, to that point I think my my one knife hand would be if you're going to expose anything, right, to the public internet, just realize that both when the internet was built and probably when a lot of these technologies were built, they, they were not meant to be publicly consumed hyperly at scale, right? So if, if you're going to be engaging in any activities, especially gaming and especially, you know, um, you know, cause I come from being a parent from this perspective, just investigate what you're doing a little bit, right? Programmatically. Like I said, like just just looking back online, like, hey, what's the history of games like Pokemon, right? If if you're going to, you know, partake in that online, I think it's like a huge thing to do. Like just have a little bit of curiosity, right? Um, in my former life, you know, there's a great leadership principle in a company called learn and be curious. Like I would tell you that that is the number one thing you should do if you have any digital presence online, learn and be curious. Second thing I would say kind of as a knife hand moment is, um, if you do find flaws in these games or you're concerned, reach out to the people that manufacture them. Or if you're a professional poking at them, trying to find the vulnerabilities, please, please, please responsibly disclose. That is how we're going to make the world safer through responsible disclosure, not through holding and hoarding that thing so you can make money. And oh, by the way, you do make money by responsibly disclosing. So those were my two knife hands, Sean. Love it. And with that, Thanks for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review and accompanying comment. Yes, that means you, person listening right now. We need more rights. Let's do this. And we won't keep you crypto mining. Over. Over.